everyone, and welcome back to Roll for Narrative, where we talk about narrative games, try to get you to, I don't know, try some new stuff. I'm your host, Neve, and with me as always is the man behind the curtain, Amit. Hey everyone, which curtain is that? <laughs> number one, number two, number don't wor- three? Don't worry about it, don't okay. worry about it. Right. I give the nicknames and you just nod and say, okay, that was weird, and we go on. I'll do, okay, that was weird. <laughs> Let's move along. So, I came, I came with a question today, I have a really burning question. Uh, that's not what we practiced. No, it's not. I just let's forget what we practice. What? I have a question. But I have like <laughs> you have your sheets and everything. Exactly. No, let's get rid of that. Okay. What was the last game system you learned? What was the last game system I learned? Yes. I think the last game system I learned was Fantasy Flights Star Wars uh system. Actually. Seriously? Me yeah. too. High five. Nice. <laughs> Which just means we didn't learn anything in the last year. <laughs> okay, we, we, like our, our, we like the systems that we know, but, but you, you learned the um, Star Wars, the new Star Wars, Edge of Empire, yeah. Age of Rebellion, yeah. Force and Destiny. Yeah, yeah. The, the Force and Destiny one. That's what I, I already knew, like, you know, Age of Empire and uh, Edge of the Empire yeah. and uh, Age of Rebellion. Actually, Age of Rebellion, no, I didn't know. But actually, Force and Destiny came out last year in uh, Gen Con. And I bought the book at Gen Con, actually. Cool. And I didn't touch it <laughs> for like six months. Or awesome. Cool. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> you actually showed it to me after you bought it. I was yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, you remember, I brought it like to a pub that we met in because I, I, I loved it so much the way it looked and everything. But you never read it. No, uh, no I, I, I read some of it. And I read it after a long time, like because I know the system. The system is like the, the same. Yeah. But then there's like extra rules for yeah, force exactly. users, force users, morality stuff like that. So that was like the, the thing that I remembered. But you know what? I thought about it, and I was lying. Actually, the last system I learned, which was you know a very short system, uh, was called One Last Job. Have you heard about that? I heard about it, but what is it about? Tell oh, me. Oh, okay. First of all, it's very narrative, so I think you'll like it. It's like this one-shot system. I heard about it actually in the One-Shot Podcast, which is a great podcast for mm-hmm. actual play. Yeah. One of the group was unable to come, and we didn't want to play without him, so we were like, let's play yeah, a one-shot. It's shot. handy to have a game like that. You exactly. can just pull it out and play one session. Yeah, I love pulling it out and just playing. So, anyway... <laughs> don't make that face you know you brought it you made it happen. i just said pull out you know exactly. like pulling stuff out and of playing. a bag right a bag that's what you meant of course you sick twisted man anyway so i learned that that system and it's it's all about this group that was like a successful like i don't know assassins or thieves or something like that and they're now old and something happened the the calamity i think it's called or the catastrophe and they split up and now someone's bringing them together for one last job. Nice. So is it kind of an Ocean Eleven's kind of thing, exactly. or the Italian job? That exactly. kind of movie. Exactly. Exactly. It's a about crime. Heists. Yeah. It's about heist. Heist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. heist. Yeah. But it's very narrative because you're talking about characters that have known each other for a long time and don't really want to be together right now because they have the, issues. They exactly, have the exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they're drawn together because of this like really crazy event that's bringing them together and the thing that i love about this system is is that people create things about other people's characters and the the players have to roll with that so that's that was my next question to you you keep saying it's a very narrative game what makes it narrative why do you say the game is narrative so about this uh this game what makes it narrative is because the whole control of your PC is not in your hands. And you just have to... It's not the the control. It's just who your PC is is not in your hands. You have full control of how to play it. But, but you write it together with the other players. Exactly. More like they write it for you. Wow. Yeah. So basically how the game starts is that the GM recruits this first person. 
and he's like you're playing x and x and y and the best guy and whatever right so everyone's like the best at what they do so like the best safe cracker so we go over and we play a little scene uh where i recruit him i'm like the big boss and like or like the you know the person that sends him to the mission and then we go off with me or with an uh, um or alone he goes and he's like well i'm now going to recruit bessie the the dame you know the, the spy dame that was the best of what she did you know she he makes up a character as he goes some someone that's like best at what they do and and we need his sort of thing and, and then he goes over and he rec- does a recruiting scene with them and then they go together to the next person and that's how the game starts so the whole setup phase of the game is is to create uh, each other's characters and wow that's cool exactly so there's, it starts from a story exa- the whole thing starts from exactly a story. there's no character creation on page there's nothing like that you just start from the story really? So yeah, that's, um, that's the setup phase, which is not exactly the same in Star Wars, is it? No, in Star Wars, I think, you know, it's, it's a classic character building process. Took more of a classic approach. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. and I think, in, I think in many things they took a classic approach, even though they're, they're trying to kind of present it as something more narrative. They talk in the book a lot about narrative gaming. And I think I really like the game, by the way. I enjoyed it. I think it's a great game. I think that uh, they put in a very nice element, which is the advantages and the setbacks. They have this new resolution mechanic where you have different types of successes. So you have the main type of success, you know, the standard one where you roll good dice and bad dice. And if they kind of, you know, cancel each other out. And then if you have one success, then you manage and many successes. That's great. So we all know that mechanic. But what they added was advantages and threats. So advantages are like a different type of, a secondary type of success, and threats are a secondary type of failure, where they kind of modify what happened in the success. So if you're trying to climb a wall or, you know, while the stormtroopers are chasing you, and you may have succeeded the role, but you may have also rolled a couple of threats, so something happens. Maybe you drop your blaster while you're climbing. So it's it's a really it's, yeah, cool it's mechanic. Exa- it's exactly. It's it, it's not about if you succeeded in the task or not. It's about if anything else happens while you're doing that task, anything good or anything bad. Right in the environment, or which I think they often say in the book that this is their form of adding a narrative aspect to it you know drawing your attention a bit more to what's going on around to what are other things that are happening not making the action so flat as success and failure yeah and they also added the whole triumph and despair right which is the kind of third type of yeah you know, like a, a a huge amazing thing happened or a terrible terrible thing happens right yeah and that's what they say that they made it that's their like like injection of narrativism but but you don't think so I, but i, I, really I you don't, don't think, think so. so can you sense that can you feel that uh, that yeah, gigantic yeah. I feel, but I, I feel the midichlorians <laughs> are, uh, <laughs> you know the force is uh, there's a disturbance, <laughs> disturbance in the force in the force exactly yeah i don't really think it's very why, narrative why not why not i really well, want to know you know it's a nice step up from d20 where you have a target number and then you roll and if you go, get that target number above, you succeed. Da, da, da. If you don't, you fail. And then you're like, okay, I failed the investigation. As we mentioned before, what's going to happen now? So it's a nice step because it, there's, it adds a lot of variety. It's never just a failure. It's, uh, no, it could be just it a could failure. Be just a failure but it, could it, also, be, it could be like everything. It could be just a failure, but yeah. there is just as much chance that it will be a failure with advantages or a failure with threats. So there's, there's a lot of variety. There's a lot of different results that you can get. Uh, and interpreting these results... You know, you can you can just let your imagination run wild. So it's Which very not always, it's not always a good thing. And that's exactly what I'm going to talk about. But the first thing I want to say is that that doesn't make it narrative. You know, I'll rephrase. It's not that it doesn't make it narrative. It does if you follow the rules. It just does it in a not a great way. 
And we have systems, and we've mentioned several systems, we have systems that do it in an awesome way. And this system kind of makes you, it kind of says, okay, now you have to describe five things that happened and that will make it narrative. Exactly, exactly. And that can slow the f*** out of a game. I, I agree completely. <laughs> it's like, you know, oh, I got five threats and three advantages. Well, no, threats and advantages cancel each other out. But I got like five threats. So what are the five things that are terrible, but not as terrible as getting a despair, but, you know, still terrible. Like five ones, two threes. And they have like this, you know, this table that says three uh, the threats can mean this and four threats can mean this. And you're like, let me check the table for a second because I have seven threats and okay, so this can... Oh, that... Mm, okay. So, okay. So this is what happened. Oh, okay, no, I, I have one left. Um, <laughs> I totally you know, agree. So, totally they, like that. You remind me of what we discussed the other day, you know, about bullet time in 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 game mechanics oh yeah yeah so it's like when you start going to the tables and to the mechanics now you're gonna have to do it because game mechanics are good and we're gonna say why they're good in a couple of minutes but when you start taking a very long time out of the game to you know to interpret the mechanics your characters are kind of stuck in bullet time, right? They're like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you can't stretch Roll it too long. Roll the dice already. <laughs> Get the f- page right. <laughs> Please, this is a clean show. All right, okay. <laughs> if you say so. Okay. No, but anyway, yeah, it just, it just shows you how strongly i feel about these yes things. yes you do you do you feel strongly so strongly so you can't see his face like getting red so much you know? <laughs> like uh like a uh a sith lord or something like that exactly and and you know sith lord is about to slash you in half and then you're like oh let me check how much what can i possibly put by you know to five threats or three <laughs> advantage and his saber is you know lightsaber is kind of moving you know, so slow, but at the end, he's just going to stop and say, would you roll the dice? Would you figure out what's happening to my... Exactly. So, so this is what I'm talking about. You can't extend bullet time too much. And a lot of game mechanics have just too many calculations, too many elements. And I think I wrote a guide once, and I, I'm going to try and remember it now. I wrote, I wrote a, the three things that increase the time that it takes. So it's the number of factors that you, you know, how many attributes and different things you need to put together, the number of calculations, and, and the amount of dice that you throw if it's very high. So if you roll a lot of dice, it's just going to slow things down. You know, that point is very important because when you play with gm that are very strategy oriented they're like well it's raining right now so your visibility is poor and there's a little fog and you're also behind some uh some boxes and your enemy has this spell that makes them like half invisible and this and this and this and this and this and that and that adds up to uh, minus three uh but you you have keen eyes so plus six and uh you know and all these things and you end up like what the hell is happening in this scene when you try to think of it narratively? You're like, okay, so this this, this happens, so I have to roll this and I have to roll this, and then I get this. How did everything in the scene affect what happened in the show? That's why when I do it, I usually like, if something in the scene is very obviously interfering with, with my characters, I put the spotlight on that. I don't say like, this oh and also they are and also this i just say well this is the most you know big thing yeah and let's let's stick to that and make that the big thing because then from from it we can tell a narrative story exactly and that's that brings us back right back to the you know what we said is the defining principle what is going to be interesting to watch right now and if you take it too far to the to accurately factoring in everything that's happening from a realistic physical simulation point of view 
you're going to lose the atmosphere. You're going to lose the moment. It's you're going to lose the drama. It's just gonna look like uh, I don't know, like this, like you're scanning with a very complicated scanner. Everything exactly. scanning the hell out of the like scene. in Terminator, like in Terminator, like in Terminator, says, just like... not nearly as cool as that. <laughs> but, so, so that's what I felt. Uh, I think it's a it's a great step for Fantasy Flight games. What they did towards. You know, it's a really nice step for people to transition from things like Dungeons and Dragons that are kind of clear-cut success failure towards more narrative games by actually forcing, so to speak, forcing the players and the and the GMs to narrate or add elements into each and every action. But boy, does that get tedious after a while. <laughs> you know, I do like the I do like it. I think as you said, it's a step in the right direction because if you get advantages, you kind of Okay, I get something, and then okay, what do I get? You know, what what's what's the thing that I want for this scene? But then you know, the the GM could tell you, oh no, that's only one point. You can't you can't get a dragon with that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and maybe it's really light. cool if you get a dragon. Yeah, right now. maybe it's like a light. You could get a light. Not that I give dragons away. Okay, I don't give everyone that wants dragons. Okay, but don't lie, any. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I every once in a while you give a dragon. Okay, well, every once in a while when they deserve a dragon, I give them a dragon. Okay, <laughs> but not all the time. But and and it's not about giving stuff away because what I like about the systems that we play is that there's no you get a good thing or you get a bad thing. Is that it's more like you get an ability to influence the story yeah, in a agency. specific way like you get an ability to get more information about this that's the good stuff that happens and you it get... drives the story forward exactly and it's not i can get something good for me so it's motivation for me to 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 use those uh in the fantasy flight uh, games the the advantages but when i get threats what's my uh what's my go-to what's my motivation to to use that you know what you mean incorporated in the story yeah you know if i'm a player because i think a gm could totally give that to the players and tell them okay so what's the bad things that happen yeah so i think they confused adding details with being narrative and being story driven and story centric but i think as you said it's a great game i really enjoy playing it i just i don't think it's quite there from a narrative perspective. No, no, I, I agree. I agree. I think that you can put that in and that's a good start. But on the other hand, your fighting mechanics are as much complicated as D&D like five, let's say. Yeah. So what's, what's the point of, you know, half-assing it, let's say. I mean, if you, I don't think there's a good hybrid right now of narrative and mechanic heavy. I haven't played a lot of mechanic-heavy things that are supposed to be very role-play and story-driven, like uh, Burning Wheel for a second. I I don't know the rules. I've heard a lot of good things about yeah, it. Yeah, we need to look into that. Yeah, definitely. Because I like it rules-light. But I'm again, I'm not afraid of the rules. If, if I can have a rules-heavy system that aids me in being narrative, I don't want to say no to that. Can you though? Do you need a rules heavy system to I be? Don't, I don't need it, but maybe it could point me in very interesting directions and also point the players in interesting directions. Yeah. So, Neve, you do realize that we've been sitting here bitching about systems that aren't narrative, but maybe it's time for us to talk about systems that do support narrative Bitch play. about. Yeah, well, you know, or praise or glorify or worship. Yes. We can do that. Yeah. Let's let's so uh, so let's talk about this the system that we that we don't mention I think enough. Yeah, um, I think I don't know if you know it. It's called Apocalypse World. The what? The what? Which Apocalypse? one? Apocalypse. Apocalypse World. World. What is that? A kind of a post-apocalyptic. Okay, so I think we can definitely say we both think that this has been a major breakthrough in narrative gaming. Definitely. On so not, many levels that not we're a not going through. It's building it's like you know, yeah. a building stone yeah let's say. it's like a new dimension exactly no seriously um uh, thank you vincent baker for creating apocalypse world you really did change the way we play games we love you vincent that's right um i think the way you did it and the oh, way yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know if I should continue at this point. <laughs> I think he just discredited us <laughs> in the most... Uh, well, I don't think Vincent listens to this podcast, so... That's okay. Or does Well, it doesn't matter. Because what he did was, you know... Anyway, forget about what he did. Let's talk about the product. So the the game, what Apocalypse World does. Where do you start? I mean, I think let's start with the moves. The fact that you put on some moves. Let's put on some moves. Yeah. I think what's awesome about Apocalypse World is that the moves, the results of the moves are always they always open up new narrative possibilities yeah yeah i agree completely agree and on the other hand they don't give you complete freedom they put you in this kind of shell where you can be totally free inside of it and not make you lose yourself in the imagination it's a framework and and i i really like what you said because if it was open-ended you know something kind of like systemless where you just make up what happened and you don't have to roll any dice it's it's a nice concept, but it's not as awesome as what Apocalypse World did, which was actually giving you options, uh, options for outcomes that are tropes. So, for example, that that's that's just crazy if you think about it. I'm going to repeat that. Yes. Apocalypse World moves give you options for outcomes that are tropes. So, if you're trying to do post-apocalyptic genre like this game does. And one of, first of all, the moves are tropes. So, so you just think of the actions you see character players usually do or protagonists usually do on screen in these stories. And then you take these actions and you make them into moves. For example, go aggro. Go aggro is, a, is the threat move in Apocalypse World. And it, it's not just you succeed or you fail. The options in go aggro are things like the other guy barricades himself, you know, the, the, the other guy barricades himself in a, behind something or they, they tell you what you want to hear or different kind of options that are actual narrative options. It's not about the number, how, by how much you exceeded the target number. It's about options, narrative options that uh, stem out of this move. And each and every move has these options. So, and each and every move is a trope of something you usually see the protagonist do in, in that, that genre. genre. Definitely, definitely. That's why in Monster Hearts, for example, which is a powered by Apocalypse game, all the moves that you see in that game are totally related to that genre, totally tropes of that genre in a way that there is no way for you to help other players because in those supernatural dramas everyone's always at odds with each other the drama is very high between the characters in the show the protagonist exactly the protagonist there's always like it's not everyone together working for a common goal usually no it's this person is mad about this about this from this person and this person betrayed that person and they were in love but now they're they broke up because they you know this person cheated on that person and there's always like terrors so they do they are together they do do things together and there is sometimes outside threats which are bigger than them but also there's no there's no like harmony here and the moves like totally represent that yeah they push you in that direction narratively they give you all these options to create that kind of story yeah and the two moves in monster hearts which you can use to influence other players are shut someone down and turn someone on that's the only ways you can influence the other person That's cool. yeah. by using your needs and wants on them. Very nice. So it, it totally creates stories that are in the genre of Monster of the Week and... Of those dramatic super, teenager yeah. supernatural thrillers. Definitely. So we're kind of getting a good picture here of what is a good narrative system. It's a system that helps you create the stories that you want to create. And it also, let's say, prevents you 
from taking the genre you started to play and going off in a totally different direction because yeah. it doesn't give you the options to do that i mean if you as i said in monster hearts or in even apocalypse world if you want to play a scene that's that you know if you want to take the game to like let's save the world and you know be uh, like heroes and stuff like that it's very hard to get there in a game like apocalypse world yeah it will get ugly it will get ugly exactly i tried that by the way oh really <laughs> my first on my first game on my first game i had a driver character and i tried to be nice to this woman i met on the road and pick her up well i, I kind of got something out of it i won't specify but this this uh this woman had a kid and the kid just followed me for the rest of the season he was huh. like you're my daddy you're my daddy you're my daddy and i had to make a lot of decisions about some really bad decisions as well but that was it i mean you you try to be good and you're gone and and i'll tell you more than that there is this special move in uh, the apocalypse world where if you have sex with another character, this move kicks in. And me and that very interesting lady on the road did what we did. And from that point on, the driver has the worst sex move, right? It, basically, when the driver has sex with a character, then they have to prove that they don't own them yes so i was just like Love why did i do that <laughs> i just had to i had this ongoing uh you know penalty until i was able to prove that uh this woman and her kid doesn't you know they don't affect me which was i had to do some pretty violent <laughs> violent shit dude. and and you know that's what i love about these apocalypse world games it's consequences consequences help you drive the story forward because Everything you do, good or bad or whatever it is, it has a narrative meaning. It has narrative meaning and Apocalypse World does a great job at interpreting that. Yeah, and keeping the focus on that. That's another thing uh, that I would say is a good measure of uh, a narrative system. Quick resolution. And I know a lot of people are not going to agree with me with that, but that connects to what we said earlier about the bullet time. I think that if you can resolve an action quickly, it's just going to keep the story going. And if you have to do a million calculations to figure out what happened and check more tables, da da da. So I really like the fact that in Powered by the Apocalypse games, all the moves are, you know, concentrated on one sheet. So it's very easy to resolve actions. Okay, you have some kind of peripheral rules that maybe every now and then you use. But really, everything is on the sheets. Once you've read the book, you don't have to keep going back to the book. The game is there. It's very simple. You resolve things very quickly with a role plus modifier. And that's it. And you get awesome, dramatic moments all the time, one after the other, without spending so much time on calculating your armor or whatnot. Definitely. And you know what? The fact that everything is on the sheet and everything is very specified that really helps the players. My players are always like, oh, okay, listening to the story, something happens, and they're like, I want to shut him down because they remember all the, the, the moves and they're like, okay, so this is my, my narrative devices. I remember them in the back of my head and I want to use that because maybe if they, you know, if they didn't have those moves and they didn't play this game for a long time and they, they wouldn't know, they were like, um... Well, I want to make him this and this and that. But, but when they know what the move can do and the name of the move, which is, I think, genius for all its, you know, for that alone. The names of the moves yeah. are genius. It's stuff you remember. Yeah, there's a lot of color in it and it, it has impact. Yeah, I agree. You remember. you. That's, that's how it makes my players say, I want to shut them down. I want to turn this guy on. I want to gaze into the abyss. You know, it's just it's those names. You want to do that. And that's how our dear Vincent tricked our players into making narrative decisions. Uh, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Right? <laughs> Which is why doing a mechanic like in Fantasy Flight Games where you can do whatever you want with what the dice, you know, unfold, it doesn't work very well. Because you don't have that those those guidelines. Yeah, it's not the whole system doesn't take you into um, 
taking actions that are within the trope. By the way, it's not just the actions that Apocalypse World keeps within the trope, it's also the characters. If you think about it, you have all these archetypes which aren't really classes. It's not... Exactly, yeah. They're really just the, the typical trope characters. Exactly. And uh, you have in the, you know, in the post-apocalyptic world, you have the battle babe, which is the hot chick or guy with the guns. Especially uh, Furiosa, let's say, from uh, Yeah, from, from Mad, Mad Max. Max. And you have uh, the driver, as I mentioned earlier, the guy with the car, like Mad Max in the earlier uh-huh, films. Yeah. And you have the hard holder, which is the person that controls a settlement. That's someone so like many the, characters. Uh, so, someone like um, the someone like uh, the governor in uh, in Walking Dead, or Rick, let's say. Yeah, definitely. And you can change between tropes or between character archetypes during the game. So your whatever leader of a gang can become, you know, uh, uh, a hard holder or whatnot. Yeah. So. So it's everything about the game. There are so many more things. We're going to mention it so many more times because it really, it's a very comprehensive work of narrative gaming. It's not just the player's rules. It's not just the moves. It's not just the characters. It's also what uh, Apocalypse World has really taught people how to GM, you know, how to, what they call it, MC games that are of a certain genre. With the principles and with the with the MC moves, we're gonna talk about it in another episode. But I think yeah, it's that- definitely a bible for for narrative gaming. Uh, I think the the Apocalypse World first edition, and I'm really looking forward for the second edition that uh, just went to Kickstarter like a few months ago. Yeah, needless to say, I backed it. I mean, of course, me too. It's just priceless, definitely. And as you said, the characters are important tropes and that translate to other games like monster hearts that i play there's the vampire and the werewolf and the ghost and everything and it's not about what power they have it's more about what their character's character is you understand what i'm saying it's like if i'm a vampire, yeah, personality exactly yeah. what drives me exactly what drives me and that's the important thing because they give you this kind of every apocalypse engine game they give you this flavor on the sheet it tells you like what kind of theme the character has and then yeah. they give you like this like two paragraphs of who this character is and yeah. how and ideas how to play it not not exactly how to play it but ideas how yeah just a general feel of that character what what its motives are exactly and it's, yeah and it's it's not when you build a character in in games like D&D and stuff like that you build all the characteristics and everything and then you think about maybe their their past and something but where do we go from here yeah it really forces you to build a character that's first of all has clear motives clear direction exactly. clear place in the story that we're about to tell and then even another system of rules helps you create clear connections to the other characters, which is priceless Definitely. and we can do a whole episode just on that so the setup stage mechanic actually includes a round where each player introduces their character and then another round where each player starts using pre-generated sentences on each one of the... I mean, you have a set of pre-generated sentences that relate to your character and you can activate it on each and one of the other players. For example, this person has seen me bleed in battle... And therefore, they think about me so-and-so. Or this person has betrayed me. Or I've been alone with this person, so I know how they operate. And as you use them, you actually get mechanical benefit. You get plus. You get a modifier to your actions against or for this character. And it's even more complicated than that because every character also has a set of comebacks to that. Yes, but... I'm a person that's hard to know, to get to know. So reduce that modifier. And it's pretty awesome. When you run this thing in your zero meeting, you just get instantly an amazing network of connections between the PCs that you, your entire game is built on that. I actually used that mechanic in a game for Force and Destiny that I ran. I just sat down and I wrote like lines and I put it on the table and I told all my players okay so now one at a time you pick from this and then you pick from this 
Okay, and this was like a good connection, and this was like uh, more, let's say, well, not bad connection, but more of a, you know... Complicated, less, yeah. Yes, more complicated connection. So I said, you pick from this, and you pick from this for each character, and we just made the story, because it's so genius, this system, and how they do it in Monster Hearts is also very interesting, because instead of plus something, you get this string on someone which means that you have an emotional hold on them and they took it to a very interesting there's a reason i play monster hearts because i think it's the most suited for me and for my players and i just think it's genius and another thing i wanted to say about monster hearts obviously is that you have the thing that tells you how to play your character you know ideas but then you have something called your darkest self which is some trigger happens it, it could be having sex with someone it could be someone betraying you could happen in a lot of ways a trigger happens and then you have a totally different script on how to play your characters i mean you go you lose all your inhibitions and you play your characters through these like two paragraphs that are completely different from how you played it right now it just makes it much more powerful and much more dramatic and then it's like something that burns out you have you do it for for a little bit and then something happens and you return to your normal self did you get into a darker side moment in yes. your game yes i did i actually already got to like two darkest side moments of two different characters and it was awesome each time i love buffy the vampire slayer and they i think they invented this whole darkest self thing they took it very interestingly with with buffy and with willow and they did with willow they did it i think in an amazing way yeah i loved it i really it, it was just it's awesome. a great storyline and they took a lot from that you know because what what ended that was the intervention the intervention of, of xander like a, a, a touching moment no one defeated willow right they just he just spoke to her heart and and the darkest self doesn't necessarily mean you become evil okay there's a there's a character that's like it's called the 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 chosen which is basically the slayer in buffy the vampire slayer that when she gets to her darkest self she says okay i don't need anyone else i'm doing this alone yeah. which is exactly what happened to buffy several in, times several yeah. times she was like i can't hurt my friends anymore I don't want to put them in harm's way. I'm going in alone, which is stupid, which is, you know, complicated, which caused a lot of things. But, you know, she played that all the way. And the darkest self isn't about turning people evil like, you know, with Willow that happened. But it's about yeah, it's kind of it's about like giving a boost to the story in a in a very like low place like your character is yeah. in a very low place and then you give it a, like a crazy boost i love that so this is what we're talking about right game systems that are the story boost is you know the narrative boost is built into the system you can't run away from it it's it's just playing it creates awesome stories exactly because you can't make your players you can't make your players do what you want or or you can't make your players play narratively i mean you can you can gi you can give them the pushes that you need but i think the thing that makes players play narratively the most is the mechanics of the system that encourages uh, exactly exactly yeah. it's not us i mean we can play narrative all day but if the system doesn't support it then the players are just not gonna go that way well we are going to talk in future episodes about how to take systems that aren't Uh, originally narrative or aren't inherently narrative and kind of work with them so that's going to be an element of that but also I wanted to ask you we've mentioned monster hearts and we've mentioned of course the original apocalypse world did you play any other hacks uh, well, that you, you know, like? I played I played uh, a hack that I don't remember who created it but it's a it's actually a Game of Thrones song and ice and fire hack of uh powered by apocalypse do, do you do you know anything i about think that? i know something vaguely we possibly have already mentioned it in every other episode <laughs> <that> recorded <laughs> but 
um, I think uh, Dungeon World. Have you ever played Dungeon oh, World? Oh, I, I love Dungeon World. Uh, I actually That's... met met Adam Koval last year in Gen Con. It was amazing. I fangirled to completely out. <laughs> Can we hear that? Can you, can you give us an example? Oh my god! <laughs> no, but seriously, it was amazing. He's super nice and super awesome. I love Dungeon World. I think it's so so suited for that old school D&D, that feeling. You remember that feeling we talked about last episode that your friend was looking for? Yeah. So just to remind people, your friend was uh, saying that he doesn't like where all the new games are going, like the direction. He wants to feel oblivious and like how he played when he was a teenager and everything. And that game really brings back, I think, that feeling, you know. Cool. Um, that's that's like how I felt, you know. I, I, the thing that I didn't like the most about D and D and all the stuff is is all the calculation and all you have to do. I didn't mind it back then. Now I really mind it. But back then, I just loved the story much more. So I I went with the story. And what Dungeon World does is it creates exactly the same kind of stories, you know, in in. In a way that Apocalypse World can do, Monster Heart can do, can't do, because like Monster Heart's Apocalypse World, it gives you exactly the moves and the tools to create an epic adventure uh, of, of in a world of Dungeons and Dragons, which is awesome. And you just get rid of all the, you know, dice calculations and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Sounds awesome. I actually didn't get a chance to play that. I did play Urban Shadows. It's an urban fantasy hack. And they had a really cool element in it called Corruption. You mark experience just like any other Apocalypse World game. And when you mark five experience, you get a new move. You get some kind of improvement. But when you do kind of evil things, for example, when you kill someone or for each character, there are different things that granted make you, uh, make you yeah, mark corrupted. corruption yeah so when you mark five corruption you get a new move that's called the corruption move from a separate list of moves that are evil moves like they're very powerful but you usually pay for them with more corruption and after you mark corruption i think five times you mark five corruption five times so 25 corruptions your character is no longer in your hands. It becomes like an evil character and it goes over to the MC's hands. That's awesome. So you don't want that to happen. And you can even use experience to kind of pull back the the corruption and kind of try to fight it. That sounds But super everything, you know, is just pulling you into the darkness. So oh, it's wow. really, really cool. Wow, that sounds like super interesting. I would love to, to try that because that does exactly what I want games to do. To, to make players make hard choices, narrative hard choices, which is super important, I think. Look, another thing that these Apocalypse Engine games do very well is they develop your character very well. There's a part in these games that is a bigger advancement. The regular advancement that you get when you, uh, when you do things and uh, get experience. And there's like a bigger advancement where you, gain, you can gain a crew or you can gain an ability of another character. Or in Monster Hearts, there's something called grown-up moves, where you can actually start helping other people, you know, because you're growing up. So the, nice. the drama becomes more complicated. Yeah, and refined, yeah. Exactly. And in Dungeon World, for example, the only way you can get experience is by failing, which is awesome because you learn from your failures. Yeah. yeah. There's no, you know, there's no highlights like in Apocalypse World and Monster Hearts. You only get experience when you fail, which is pretty awesome as well. But I just agree. an anecdote. I just you just made me notice that also within each character, there is a separate set of rules for each character for their powers. So for Apocalypse World, you have the Hard holders rules. I mean, you have a part of your sheet where there are rules specific to the hard holder, like how they create a, their holding and what happens to them every beginning of session when they roll for it. And when we were playing Game of Thrones, we had, for example, the the Red Priest 
sheets. So they had this whole relationship with Relor and the shadow that they had to constantly sacrifice in order to power their spells. As a character, you have access to very different things. Just like you said, we talked about your Airbender game, where different characters, even though they don't maybe have powers of combat, powers of influencing someone in a magical way or something like that, they do have narrative and social powers which exceed that. Um, and that's cool because it really, even though the characters are very like, you know, very set, it's the, the archetypes are very set. You don't build a character from zero to a hundred. It makes every decision and every way to act different for each character, which is super cool. I mean, it's not like I'll use a bow and he'll use a sword and he'll use a spell. But it's all really rolling the same dice, rolling the same attack roll. Exactly. Da, 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 da. It's completely different. It's completely things. different. Yeah, and it gives you as a player, it gives you a lot of feeling of power. I'm going to use this kick-ass move that I only have, which allows me, for example, to tell what happened here previously and not just what's happening right now. Right. Or which allows me to say who's going to die in this scene, like oh the battle bit. These really awesome moves that, are that again, are capturing the trope of the character. And I'll tell you one place where I think it doesn't work. One genre that it doesn't work, can you guess? No. I think in the superhero genre, it doesn't work. What doesn't? This concept of trying to break down all the characters into archetypes and stereotypes. I think it doesn't really work in superhero games. And we've had several hacks for superpowered games for Apocalypse World. We've had worlds in peril where they abandoned the idea of creating separate archetypes. They just created... I think different drives that any character with any set of powers could have. And that was a good direction, I think, because they were trying to... When you, when you play a superhero game, the last thing you want to do... Is someone deciding what your powers are or something like that, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's just depressing. I want, if I play a superhero game, I want to have the powers that I want. I mean, if I'm going to play a superhero game, I'm going to decide my powers full stop. There you go. So... And it was, that was a step in the, in the right direction because they kind of let you define your powers in a sentence and then different aspects of what you can and cannot do with your powers. So that was a really, that was a good a step in the right direction, but that did step out of this whole archetype idea. Now, there's a new game, relatively new, a recent Kickstarter campaign oh. called Masks that was funded, of course. And that is a kind of a teenage superhero genre Teen uh, Titans, game. Like yeah, Teen Titans. Exactly. Where they do have, the powers are divided into categories. And that, I think, is a, is a downside of the game. But they have an awesome social mechanic. Like, your attributes are not even strength or whatever. They're, they're your social roles. And you, you, the more you play out a certain role, you get more points in that attribute. And then when you attack, which is associated with one of the social roles, you do it better if you actually behave this way. And then if you don't, or if someone tells you you're not, then you kind of lose points from that social role. So this whole game is based on something like, I think, six or seven social roles that these are your attributes. Can you give us an example? So, yeah, for example, the savior is one of them. So if you act in a way that is consistent with the idea of a savior, you protect others, you save them, you, I think there is a defend other move or whatever. And if you do that, you get more points in that attribute. You become like the savior four or the savior three, whatever you had before. That sounds cool. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it's, I really liked it. Uh, but again, I think that, when you take superhero powers and you put them in archetypes, you kind of lose something. And that's that's why in City of Mist, for example, Ooh. which is the game we're working on, we didn't do that. We tried actually to go away from that, even though we are using Apocalypse World, and create a game where you can choose any power, but your powers are listed as tags, as free text tags. So whenever they are become relevant then you get the bonus or the modifier to make your role 
more successful. Yeah, because I think powers in superhero genres are less important to the story as other things. I mean, it's awesome that you have your powers and you can do amazing things with it. But let's say I want freezing power and another person wants fire power. We could basically do the same things, okay, if we are talking narratively. Let's say he can build a bridge and I can, but, you know, from ice, but not what I'm talking about. We can both stop the villain in the same way. We can both do things that, you know, if I want, if I have mind control, for example, I can use mind control. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what your powers are for the story. That's why I don't think it should be in an archetype. You know, you should have the powers that you think are cool to see and, and use and keep that separated from who your character is. Yeah, that's a very good point. So when you want to create something in the superhero genre and you want a mechanic or a system that's going to support the narrative of superhero genres, it doesn't really matter what kind of blast do you use? Optic blast, fire blast, psychic blast, ice blast, electric blast. <laughs> it's You blast them, right? You blast them to smithereens, whatever. So, yeah, I, I think that's a very good point. And that's why we kind of try to focus on putting the narrative, the emphasis on the narrative and not on the specific powers. Even though, in a weird way, it kind of gave you the freedom to create any set of powers that you want. Uh, but so what are we what are we playing city of mist because i'm hearing a lot about this but uh you know well should we tell them we we did play city of mist and we're playing city of mist we're recording it so yes. we're going to share that with you very soon very very soon. very soon but it's it's in the works and it's going to come out soon soon, soon definitely soon because you know soonish soon is sooner rather than later it's gonna be awesome i'm gonna tell you that much already because we have to do an episode about what's super amazing about city of mist because we can talk about that for hours so let's uh, let's continue with something else and you know put that in the back burner all right folks there it is we talked about good narrative mechanics and we talked about not so good narrative mechanics if we can say that we praised some things and we dissed dissed <laughs> bitched about as, as they say and on some things hope it helped you guys a little bit I think uh, it was very interesting for yeah. me at least again we would love your feedback we're using the feedback that you guys are giving us and we're trying to implement it every episode so please keep that thing going Keep it flowing in. We love your feedback. We love it. Amit loves it more. Shh, don't tell them. Okay. Thank you, guys. We'll see you. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.